as we welcome Jeff Tarpley from Gigum247.com to the program. Jeff, good afternoon. How are you? Doing great, guys. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Just trying to keep up with who's sick and who's not playing and what games are being moved. And it, uh, it, it, We've talked about it a million times, but 2020 really has been a most difficult year for everybody involved. It, it's been interesting to say the least. It's been most of all, it's been disruptive, and hopefully that ends, say, as quickly as possible, as humanly possible, so that you you, you not only have people that have issues outside of uh, outside of sports, but also sports itself has just you know been knocked on its rear end this year. Hopefully all of that comes to a close relatively quickly and we can all get back to the business of covering the sports themselves as opposed to writing about all the extraneous things that are taking place around them. What's the, uh, what's the mood, what's the thought process of the uh, college football playoff rankings with uh, the Aggies being number five? Very simply put, A&M's head-to-head win over Florida gave them the necessary leverage to get that all-important fifth spot. Now, you know, there's a lot that can happen over the next few weeks. I think A&M's road goes through, uh, at least in Atlanta, I think it depends on Alabama uh, beating Florida to kind of take out any potential conflict on the part of the committee if, let's say, Florida beats Alabama and then you have a one-loss Alabama team sitting there that's played very, very well all year. In addition for A&M, I think you need to look at Notre Dame beating Clemson again in the ACC title game. That would give Clemson two losses. I don't think the committee's going to put in a two-loss Clemson team. becomes problematic for A&M if Clemson and Notre Dame wind up splitting two games, Notre uh, Notre Dame taking that first game, Clemson taking the rematch in the ACC title game. So from that point of view, I think those two things have to happen to get A&M into the playoffs. If not, uh, then A&M goes to New Year's Six. They go to the Cotton Bowl, and they probably go as the SEC's top-ranked team in the CFP, which would give them a matchup against the Big 12's number one team, which uh, that could be... (laughs) That could be any one of four teams at this point in time. So they get LSU this week. Uh, these two teams have gone back and forth. Uh, we, I don't think anybody's ever going to really forget the seven overtime event. Does A&M view this game with LSU as a rivalry now? I, I think A&M would like to think of it as a rivalry game. It certainly was supposed to take the place of the game with Texas when A&M went to the SEC. Unfortunately, A&M didn't hold up its end of the bargain. Uh, and did not win over LSU until 2018, which made it problematic in that regard. I think now if A&M wins this game this year and has taken two of the last three, then I certainly think it begins to move toward that standard, particularly if both teams continue to play at a high level in future years and you really have something at stake. Of course, Nick Saban and Alabama will have something to say about that. Auburn will probably have something to say about that. You have what was the back end of the Big Twi- of the uh, excuse me SEC West coming into play, getting better as time goes on. But I think that beyond winning this season, 
A&M has to play at a higher level and make this game more of a matchup for an SEC West title than what it has. You know, Jeff, I've asked you before about Tommy Robinson obviously coming over from LSU to coach the running backs at Texas A&M, but he's also going to bring a wealth of knowledge about personnel. He recruited a bunch of those kids that are at LSU. You you think he's uh you, you think he's leaning a little bit towards uh, giving Coach Fisher some 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 tips on what's going on in Baton Rouge? I I think he's going to do all he he can to help. But let's face it, a lot of the kids that Robinson was familiar with for let's say the course of going on four years, a lot of them left the program. Uh, they they declared for the draft or they opted out this year. Uh, they had, I think, 30, 30 uh, scholarship players leave, something like that. And so he can help in in some ways in terms of, say, knowledge of the personnel, but it's not necessarily the same personnel. It's definitely not the same coaching staff. You know, uh, Joe Brady left, uh, Dave Aranda left. And so what he can add to the table probably is perhaps if he sees something that LSU is doing on film, he can certainly compliment whatever uh, Daryl Dickey, the offensive coordinator, Jimbo Fisher as the head coach and, and play caller see. I, I think he can help him out in that regard. But I think his impact on, for him is probably not going to be what it was if LSU brought more people back. The Aggie O-line made the Moore Award honor roll earlier this week for their play this season. What has made the Maroon Goons so successful? You've just simply got a lot of guys with a lot of starts. And when you get to this level, when you're starting four guys that are seniors and that have all those starts, they're, they've been in, in a strength and conditioning program for three, four, five years. They're just bigger and stronger than – the bulk of the people they'll be going against. You know, the SEC's had a lot of guys go first round in the last years. Those guys graduated. Their eligibility's all expired. Now you've got seniors blocking freshmen and sophomores and juniors. That's much more of a mismatch than it was last year when you had a bunch of juniors trying to block some seniors and some high NFL draft picks. Uh, they're just better technically. You've got guys like sophomore running back Isaiah Spiller, speaking of, of Coach Robinson. Robinson's been able to help him see where the blocking is developing better, making the blocks better by being able to hit the gaps when they come open, bending plays back over the middle that are supposed to go outside, vice versa. Jalen Wattemeyer, the tight end, is doing a much better job on backside blocks and also frontside blocks. That was a real issue for A&M last year because he, he just he hadn't played in line. He hadn't even played close to the line. He, he was more of a glorified slot in high school. So you've got a 260-pound guy now who's better able to impose his will on defenders. And so with that in place, A&M's not having the type of breakdowns they had last year. You've also got sophomore Kenyon Green, the former five-star He's no longer kind of a wink link in terms of who to block and also have, you know, again, the freshman going against senior now. He's a sophomore going against people his own age. So he's been able, better able to at least stalemate, displace guys. So all of that has come together. You no longer have any real weak links like you did last year. And so the unit as a whole is better. Jeff, uh, 
early in the year, the uh, the Aggies lose the the, the football game, uh, and you heard, oh well, we hired Jeff Fisher to get us to that elite level. Well, now you're talking about the Aggies in a position to get to the college football playoff. I would assume the the rumblings kind of quieted down in College Station. Well, I think all it really took was Jimbo Fisher. And again, this isn't easy, but all it took was him beating a top five, top ten opponent Mm -hmm. in a game that really meant something for A&M. And that's all there is to it. It showed everyone that progress was being made in the program. A&M did have a couple of wins over top ten teams, LSU being one of them, uh, and and then top ten Kentucky in 2018. But, But the stakes weren't quite as high back then this those games were to kind of show people that the program was on the rise. This is to show that the program had risen and had gotten to a certain level and can play with the best people in the country and should be taken seriously, not just for a New Year's Six bowl game, but also even for the playoffs. As a result, as a result of that win, now you've got players buying in more than what they did, what Coach Fisher was trying to to show them his way of doing things, and they'll, in turn, sell that to the recruits. Hey, Jeff, uh, what can we uh, what can we catch on Gigum247.com? Well, I'm going to try to get up a breakdown of A&M's offense against LSU's defense uh, in the next uh, few hours, if not first thing in the morning. It, it, it's really interesting. The change to Bo Pelini, I'm going to talk about this. The change over to Bo Pelini from Dave Aranda, who, who is now the head coach at Baylor, it, it, it made LSU do things that they weren't used to doing. And, for example, it, it, it turned one-gap players into two-gap players in the front seven. They had to play a lot more. Uh, man-to-man coverage in the secondary. They weren't quite used to that as opposed to maybe combination coverages. So you've had a lot of breakdowns where LSU actually does a very good job, tackles for loss, to sack three and outs, high percentage of the time they get off the field. However, they give up a lot of big plays. That's been their Achilles heel this year, and that's why they've been so. That's why they had so many issues on defense, and I'll talk about that in the uh, write-up that I did. Hey, Jeff, thanks so much. Have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Have a good day. Jeff Tarpley from Gigum247.com.